As Nicole said, our scripture passage today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. And if there's enough light left for you to see by, you can follow along in your pew Bibles. It can be found on page 145. Before we read, let us pray. Most holy and gracious God, the scriptures tell us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word endures forever. Plant the seed of your word in our hearts this day, that it may endure, take root, and bear fruit in our lives. Amen. Romans 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us, in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you remember the first time you ever witnessed a chemical reaction? Maybe it was in high school chemistry class, and it started out with some substance in the bottom of a beaker, a teacher might have added a chemical to that substance, and the second the chemical and the substance came into contact, something happened. Maybe smoke filled the beaker, or the substance transformed into a bubbling, boiling liquid, or maybe it even caught fire. Regardless of the exact nature of the reaction, once that chemical reaction starts, it moves forward to the end. Then maybe you learn how to write it out as an equation, the specific combination of chemicals and elements, the recombination of protons and electrons that represent and explain the transformation you just witnessed. In one of the most masterful sentences of all his writings, the Apostle Paul draws a through line from suffering to hope. And it reads almost like the description of the steps in a chemical reaction. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. This reaction Paul describes is not chemical, however, maybe it's electrical. <laughs> it's the process of spiritual transformation. 
the instigating event of the reaction that was the Protestant Reformation began when the young monk Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, on October 31st, 1517. Once those theses were added to the beaker that contained the substance of the church, the reaction Luther started had to run its course. Luther grew up in a small mining town in Germany, and his father wanted him to be a lawyer. But one day, traveling alone on a road, he was caught in a terrible thunderstorm, and he was terrified. He prayed for God's help, and he survived that ordeal with a sense that God had laid a claim on his life. So he entered a monastery and dedicated himself to the study of theology, much to his father's dismay. During this time, the church in Europe was the Catholic Church. In order to raise funds for the rebuilding of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, church officials would travel around to different towns and remind people that their faith was not enough to make them right with God. They also needed to do good works. Fortunately, the church made this easy when it defined good works, at least some of them, as giving money to the church. People could also give money to the church to free their loved ones from purgatory. And it turned out this was a very effective stewardship campaign. These gifts were called indulgences. They were essentially a way of purchasing salvation, and it happened to provide much-needed revenue for the church. But the more the young Martin Luther studied his Bible, the more he began to question some of the teachings and practices of the church, particularly the selling of indulgences. He was especially influenced by Paul's letter to the Romans, where he read that we are made right with God. Paul uses the word justified, not through our good works, but through God's gracious gift of faith. This is what it means to be justified by grace through faith, it means we are made right with God, reconciled to God and to one another, not by anything we do, but by the mercy and grace and love of God extended to us through Jesus Christ. Now, this new understanding was a revelation for Luther, and it marked a second turning point in his life. He gave up an angry, punishing God for a God of grace and mercy to whom we respond in faith. For Luther, the scriptures clearly revealed this good news. And all of this is what led Luther to nail those 95 theses or arguments to the door of his local church. It was the 16th century equivalent of tweeting or posting a TikTok. Luther didn't start out to, to didn't set out to start a revolution. He was really just hoping for a lively debate but his arguments were widely disseminated. They went viral, and they quickly drew the wrath of church authorities, especially as Luther continued to defend and refine his arguments against many of the church's teachings. Church and civil authorities ultimately demanded that Luther recant his arguments or face excommunication and execution. At his trial, in response to the demand that he recant, Luther said, I am bound by the scriptures. My conscience is captive 
to the word of God. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Now at this point in Luther's life, it's safe to say he had known suffering. Conflict with his family, his church, trusted colleagues and friends, most of whom had abandoned him or labeled him a heretic, and deep insecurities about taking on the institution of the church. And yet it is clear that even while he stood trial, with his very life in the balance, Luther felt an undeniable sense of God's presence and guidance and blessing. Luther's suffering built endurance and character so that he could hold fast to his convictions and find hope in God's grace. Paul begins Romans chapter 5 by talking about justification by faith, this process through which we are made right with God when God pours love into our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. This reaction opens us up to God's amazing grace, which Paul describes as the grace in which we stand. He claims that this promise of God's unconditional love and grace, which is revealed and made known in Jesus Christ, is the ultimate source of our hope. But Paul also knows that the path to this hope is treacherous. Because one can only get to an honest, transformative experience of hope through the process he describes. Suffering, endurance, character, hope. This sequence is the template of human life molded by the power and promise of the gospel. And it begins with suffering. Like Martin Luther, the 20th century theologian Karl Barth was deeply influenced by Paul's letter to the Romans. In his commentary on this book, he argues that faith enables us to see the yes in the no. To see the yes of hope, even in the no of suffering. Faith, he says, offers us a new perspective on suffering, the promise that there is life and love beyond death and pain. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, God reveals that suffering and death never get the final word. Suffering is the no, which reveals God's yes. This is how suffering can become a source of hope. We must suffer, Bart writes, but our suffering is no longer a passive, dangerous, poisonous, destructive tribulation and perplexity, but it is transformed into a tribulation and perplexity which are creative, fruitful, powerful, and promising. Now I want to be careful here. Because too often passages like Romans 5 have been misinterpreted or even weaponized. When the influential evangelist Pat Robertson died recently, articles about his life bemoaned the way his brand of theology preyed on the marginalized and suffering. He blamed the people of Haiti for the devastating earthquake they experienced and gay people for the AIDS pandemic and 9-11. 
This particular distortion of the gospel argues that suffering is a result of human sinfulness and it is only transformative when it becomes a motivation to transform behaviors deemed sinful. But this is not what Paul says here. Paul invites us to reframe our suffering through the love and grace of God. When seen through this lens, suffering can help us to understand and even see God present and at work in all things. When the reporter Anderson Cooper was grieving his mother's death, he interviewed the comedian and devout Catholic Stephen Colbert. Colbert was just 10 years old when his father and two older brothers died in a plane crash. And he told Cooper that he felt a sense of gratitude for the losses he had experienced. He had come to a place where he was grateful for his grief. Here's how he put it. It's a gift to exist. And with existence comes suffering. There's no escaping that. But if you are grateful for your life, then you have to be grateful for all of it. And so at a young age, I suffered. And by the time I was in serious relationships in my life with friends or my wife or my children, I had some understanding that everybody is suffering. And however imperfectly I can acknowledge their suffering and connect with them and love them in a deep way, a way that makes you grateful for the fact that you have suffered so that you can know that about other people. He continued, I want to be the most human I can be. And that involves acknowledging and ultimately being grateful for the things I wish didn't happen because they gave me a gift. Colbert described a day decades after the plane crash that divided his life into before and after when he was literally walking down the street in New York and became overwhelmed by a sense of gratitude for the pain of his grief. That gratitude, he said, doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't make the grief less profound. In fact, it makes it more profound because it allows you to look at it. It allows you to examine your grief, to see that pain as something that can light your knowledge of what other people might be going through, which is really just another way of saying there is value in having experienced it. Suffering is an unavoidable part of life, and it can be a catalyst for spiritual transformation, the kind that builds empathy and compassion, that inspires us to see and respond to the suffering that is all around us. It can teach us to see the yes in the no. The writer James Baldwin once wrote about William Shakespeare, the greatest poet in the English language found his poetry where poetry is found in the lives of the people. He could have done this only through love, by knowing that whatever was happening to anyone was happening to him. Every one of us 
has experienced times when we have been overwhelmed by grief or shame, fear or uncertainty, loss or despair. And just as God's grace is not something we can earn through good works, so our experiences of suffering are not punishment for our sin. Suffering is not transactional. It's unavoidable, which means it unites us all. My prayer is that when those times come for me, for you, we may have eyes to see the yes in the no, to experience our suffering and all suffering in light of God's grace, so that it ultimately becomes a source of endurance and character and hope, hope that sustains us, comforts us, and empowers us to draw near to one another, trusting that we are neither alone nor unique in our suffering. This formula of spiritual transformation that takes us from suffering all the way to hope through endurance and character, this is the template of human life. It's a formula revealed by God in Jesus the Christ, the one who draws near to us, who chooses to suffer with us and for us, and who reveals again and again the depth and breadth of God's love. Amen.